1: And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney, joined by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. It is Tuesday, September 8th, just two days shy of the Chiefs' season opener against the Houston, Texas.
2: John, can you believe it? No, I, I don't believe it. I can't believe it. It doesn't seem real to me. I mean, if this is the weirdest season I've ever been through in my life, um, and that's probably true for just about everybody, I suppose. But uh, man, this is this is surreal to me. It doesn't doesn't
1: feel real at all. Yeah, by now in what is still the off season, I guess for a couple more days and hours and whatnot, I would have been to the practice facility for the draft and off season mm-hmm. workouts, and I would have yep. been up and down from St. Joe, but it's just been home every day trying to talk to as many people as I can to get a, a feel for this team, taking part in Zoom press conferences, which we'll be playing some for you today. Very, very odd off season, but I, I, I have to say, even with the odd offseason and even these weird feelings where it just simply doesn't seem real, I'm so ready for the Chiefs opener. I'm so ready to see what this team looks like. I want to see... Clyde Edwards-Alaire, is he the real deal? I'm ready to see Patrick Mahomes play football again. He hasn't played football in six months. We usually get to see a few plays at training camp where you're turning heads. Maybe he's working around the uh, around the, the back pass for 2020. We haven't been able to see any of that, so it'll be all in one shot, and the difference this year that'll be really interesting, John, is it's going to count right away.
2: Hmm. Yeah, this will be... This will be unlike anything we've ever seen before. But, you know, I wonder. I wonder if I will feel differently after watching America's Game on NFL Network on Wednesday night, if that will be the moment where I finally realize this is real, this is happening. Um, Because, you know, once we see that America's Game episode, it's the cycle. You know, it's the end of the cycle. So we'll see how I feel Wednesday night.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And we're going to get into the latest Chiefs news ahead of this game on the podcast. We're going to get into some reaction from the 53-man roster announcement over the weekend. John and I are going to go through our five burning questions for the 2020 Chiefs season. But first, John, you alluded to it. I'm going to read the PSA, if you will. The night before the 2020 NFL regular season kicks off, NFL Network celebrates the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs with a pair of documentary features Wednesday, September 9th. America's Game 2019 Chiefs at 7 p.m. filed by Times Yours, Andy Reid, and the 2019 Chiefs. That's at 8 p.m. Arrowhead time. So it's 7 o'clock and then 8 o'clock. The two NFL Network specials on Wednesday night – and for years, you've watched these specials, and they've been about other teams. For the first time in fifty years, you get the two chief specials. I I read that Eric Stone Street and Arrowhead Pride reader Paul Rudd will be the voiceovers for these documentaries. So must watch television the night before the
2: regular season opener. Right, it's going to be fun to watch those. Um, and I, I'm not aware that there have been additional documentaries about Super Bowl-winning teams in the past. Maybe there have been, and I haven't noticed because they weren't the Chiefs. You're saying it was just America's game? Yeah, yeah. I haven't been, uh, you know, I've never run across one of these uh, season documentaries about a Super Bowl team aside from America's game before. And uh, maybe they just felt that Reed's story was more compelling. He he is going to talk about his 14 seasons in Philadelphia, according to the information we've seen. And uh, so maybe they felt this was a a special circumstance where it was deserved. Um, So, It'll be interesting to see how they play that out. And now I'll have to do some research and find out if it's ever been been done before. (laughs) It was a 21-year journey for Andy Reid that, don't forget, included
1: four straight trips to the NFC title game. That is gut-wrenching as a a head coach to to go through that and never to be able to get it done. Uh, Travis Kelsey did a nice job talking about that at the parade. So, yeah, this will be one... Final, I think, goodbye to the 2019 season for Chiefs fans where they can relive it one more time. I know there'll be some type of banner ceremony on opening night, but that's about it. And then it it is finally time to see if they can do this again. So let's get into the latest Chiefs news right now. Uh, We have our first injury update of the season with the Chiefs-Texans injury report coming out on Monday. Travis Kelsey and Derek Nottie were limited to start the week. Juan Thornhill was a full participant. And then on the Texans side, you had Brandon Cooks and cornerback Lonnie Johnson uh, that were both limited among five names for the Texans. But those are the ones to focus on. I think the big surprise here for Chiefs fans is the fact that There's some kind of knee issue with Travis Kelsey where it seems like they're being cautious. I don't want Chiefs fans to get too nervous here. Don't forget, Kelsey was limited heading heading into last year's divisional round game against the Texans. And he went off for 10 passes, 134 yards, and three touchdowns. So, again, worth noting, I, I think that the most important thing here is that Juan Thornhill was a full participant.
2: Right, and I agree. I don't think there's uh, any need to get worked up about these two players being limited in practice. Kelsey's old enough now. You um, know, he had that IT band surgery last year, um, that is going to be a problem for him probably for the rest of his career. And um, uh, so, we're probably going to see this happen with him uh, on a fairly regular basis through the course of the season. So, I wouldn't get too worked about too worked up about it just yet. Noddy, of course, had, you know, some ankle things right. that he dealt with in the Seemed offseason. Seemed like a clean-up clean up ankle surgery in the offseason, right. so they're just so, being cautious. I just, yeah.
1: I wonder yeah. about snap counts for both Noddy and for Thornhill, even though Thornhill's full in this game, just because I I think you better be safe than sorry. I mean, we hear so often how you're not in football shape till you play football. Well, in reality, especially giving the yellow jersey that the quarterbacks get and how you don't necessarily go full uh, tackle 150% mm. until you're playing a team in another jersey. You're getting real football for the first time on Thursday night. That's the really unique part of this offseason, so I just wonder if the Chiefs are cautious there. R- remains to be seen. We'll monitor those injuries. You can check the updates at arrowheadpride.com. The plan for cornerback opposite trivarius Ward right now is to mix and match at the position. It has seemed that fourth-rounder rookie Legere Sneed has taken a step forward as probably being the guy to start. We asked Steve Spagnuolo about that yesterday.
3: Yeah, well, all we can go off of is what he's done in practice. Uh, and he's had some really good snaps, and, and certainly some snaps like a normal rookie out in that position, which is not an easy position to play early. In your career, um, but we'll mix and match it over there. Uh, we got some. We got confidence in LJ. He's a hard worker. Even from the first day he got there, I thought he was one of the better, better competitors that was out there. And if you're going to play out of that position, you've got to compete. You got to be a an elite competitor. Uh, you got to let things just roll off your back if it doesn't go so well. So those are the things we maybe we don't know about some of our guys is you know how they react to adversity. We try to give them as much adversity in practice, but. It's nothing like the game. So that is going to be one of the things we'll focus on is when it doesn't go right, uh, can we bounce back up and come up with a good play? I've thought more and more about this, and I've been surprised that Snead has been the
1: guy. But I think the idea behind it is the Chiefs have Tyron Matthew to make sure that he's in the right place during the entire game where he's on the field and and could say, don't forget, Snead, you have these things that you have to do on particular plays. And then I think about why Snead and and not a guy like Hamilton, who is expected to be more in a Rashad Fenton role. You just heard Steve Spagnuolo talk about how Hamilton may step in from time to time. And I just think it's, it's potentially Snead's 40 time where you have the crutch of Tyron that can help him get through maybe his rookie woes. But then you have a 4.3740 time when you have a guy that you have to be really careful with, with Will Fuller. And of course, Brandon cooks now in the mix there. And the one thing that you know about Snead is he can stay with these guys as they try to stretch the field. So I think that that could be one of the reasons the chiefs are going with Snead early in this game. I know they've talked about potentially kicking Rashad Fenton out to the outside. I just don't see it. I think he's the snap guy this year as Steve Spagnolo has shown in the past.
2: Yeah. I, the more I think about it, I would agree with you. Um, it To me, it just seems like a, a decision between uh, Fenton and uh, and Hamilton uh, because that's the way they typically roll with these things. Spaggs doesn't like to put rookies out there unless he has no choice. He'll put a guy out there if there's an injury situation. It would be uncharacteristic for Spagnuolo to put uh, Snead out there as a rookie in the opening game of the season. However, um the piece that uh, Craig Stout wrote on arrowheadpride.com this morning kind of turned my head a little bit uh, where he's right. looking at Antonio Hamilton as a guy to take uh, the role that, uh, that Kendall Fuller had last year as a hybrid safety in Spagnolo's scheme. And that makes a lot of sense to me. So I'm, I'm coming around to where you are. I think now that, that they're going to go ahead and, and give Sneed the opportunity to play on the outside and keep everything else pretty much the, the way it was, just with a different guy as that hybrid safety. We'll see who's up for the Chiefs. I, I don't I don't get the
1: feeling that Bo Pete Keys is going to be ready to be active. So I, I think yeah. you see the four cornerbacks and a, a group of those safeties, of course, Sorensen, Thornhill, um, Matthew. We'll see Tedrick Thompson or Imani Watts. I know they're important to probably special teams. So we'll see who's up for the Chiefs when they play this game. One of the major questions this offseason for the Chiefs has been, will Clyde be ready to go? And Eric Biennemi said that when the lights come on on Thursday night, he has confidence in his 21-year-old running back. You know what? We put through uh through a lot of different tests, this, uh, I mean, this uh, this training camp. He's had an opportunity to, to get out there, work with the ones. Uh, obviously, our training camps are tough. We want to make it tough just because of the way we practice. We practice with a high volume of reps. We practice at game speed. And on top of that, it's okay if he makes a mistake. The thing that we want to do is see how he
3: handles those mistakes. Now, everything that we do in practice obviously cannot simulate a game as far as game speed and all the collisions that will be made. But one thing
1: and we do know, the kid has mentally and physically prepared himself for this point, but he does understand that, hey, when those lights turn on, it's time to go, and he'll be ready to go. Clyde kind of got the shaft here without a preseason and not being able to go through those preseason reps and, and whatnot, but what I think you like about him as he is stepping right into the starting position is the fact that he played for LSU, which is as bright of lights as you could possibly get, that's not at the NFL level. They go undefeated. He had over 1,800 scrimmage yards and 17 touchdowns. This is, of course, another level. But at the same time, I just feel like having gone through the LSU experience, you feel a little bit better thinking about that than him coming from, for example, what would be maybe like a D2 Program or a one mm-hmm, sure. program that's just not as
2: um, a high standard. Missouri Science and Technology in mm, Rolla, for there you example. Go. Yes, <laughs> you know, has I don't think there's anybody, a player or a coach, who has had anything less than absolute praise for Edward right. Allaire since he arrived in Kansas mm-hmm. City. Um, you know, I hate to be overconfident about this stuff, but it looks like he's going to be spectacular. Uh, yeah,
1: but y- y- you just don't know. You heard those questions during the press conference yesterday because there's this weird parallel to Kareem Hunt because Mm -hmm. it seems like Clyde is a really elusive player, even in the National Football League. Anthony Hitchens talks about that during training camp. And they have a similar skill set in that they are receivers out of the backfield comfortable between the tackles and here you'll have a situation because of the opt-out from Damian Williams where he's making his debut on the other side of banner night and from when you hear Lewis Riddick and Peter Schrager and think about they had these things to say about Mahomes before are you in store for another 246 yard night as long as you don't fumble the first snap of your career like Kareem Hunt did (laughs) I think the Chiefs have been waiting for a player like Clyde Edwards-Alaire, since the Kareem Hunt release, and I mentioned this on 610 Sports Radio this morning, I find that Clyde is a very, very similar player to Kareem, but at the age of 21, and I I think Kareem's in a better space now, but at the age of 21, he has a way better head on his shoulders. It just seems like his makeup Mm -hmm. is a little bit better, and that seems to be something the Chiefs
2: really like, and they feel that they can put their trust into yeah, but you know, the thing about this that strikes me is that we didn't have this kind of hype about Kareem Hunt right. before uh, he went out as the as a start, in a starting role uh, when he was a rookie. So there's real, we don't really have anything to compare it to. You know, it's not like we had this kind of hype going on about Hunt before his rookie season. He just came out there and wowed everybody. Well, there were, it was supposed to be a big year
1: for, I believe, Spencer Ware, and there was yeah, the yeah. odd injury that Ware went through and he really has never been the same again and it gave Hunt the opportunity. Sure. Um, I just think a lot of people saw what Reed was able to do with Hunt and then immediately after they draft him they have the Brian Westbrook comparison who's an Eagles mm-hmm. Hall of Famer and, and it spiraled from there and it seems like messaging has been coming out of the front office with with no reporters on scene or reporters on scene but they can't really report anything. So the ones that we have heard from Peter King and, and again the the national heads that I mentioned, just they've pushed along that hype train and we'll see if it comes to fruition uh, on Thursday night. I do want to mention a side note that I I just think it's gotten lost and I'm interested in seeing how the Chiefs use McCole Hardman on Thursday night. I think it could be one of these players that is just hiding in pure plain sight and we've forgotten him a little bit with the Clyde hype. And, and I just, I look at his yards per reception, 20.7. That led the team mm-hmm. by like four yards, 13.1 yeah. yards per target, 292 yards after the catch. And this was in a limited role. I mean, mm-hmm. you think in six months time that Andy Reid hasn't schemed a way to get him more involved in the offensive player with those type of numbers. I, I think... It's been exciting to hear that everyone's back. People are really excited for Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey to continue to do what they do. Clyde, of course, has received all the hype because he has the new face. But I I just wouldn't forget about what maybe McCole Hardman could do, especially now that Reed has had an entire offseason to think about that.
2: Yeah, but, you know, Dave Tobe talked about Hardman yesterday as his main returner, both for kicks right. and puns, and that's where he's at on the depth chart, the You've, unofficial depth chart that we get from the Chiefs. It so, could be one of those
1: situations, and, and to your point, John, where you feel a little bit for Hardman, because if he was anywhere else in the NFL, yeah, he would be yeah. minimum a, a wide receiver, too. But he's right. about the fifth option mm-hmm. on this team, which is incredible to say. I. I just think there there could be a, a Hardman package on the way where where we see him in specific times of the game where he just can set the set the game on fire, so to speak, especially if if a guy like Tyreek
2: Hill is getting getting more attention. But as you said, last year that was the role he had in the chiefs as the main kick and punt returner, and he still got on the field. even with the same group of wide receivers on the field ahead right. of him, he was still able to find opportunities to perform and did very well. You know, I, it's just it's just not quite his time yet. Um, the way it played out with Ty, you know, we all expected a repeat of the Tyreek Hill scenario where he spends right. one year as a returner and then comes back as a as a bigger contributor in the regular offense after one season. We all expected that to be the case with Hardman, and it hasn't just because the situation's different. You know, who were the wide receivers on the team during Tyreek Hill's rookie season? You know there was room for him to come in there. There isn't room for Hardman to come in right now. To his Probably credit, Hardman has said in the past. I mean, he wants to be one of the better
1: kick returners in the league, so he's embracing sure. his his role right now. And and he's young, young kid, so he's he still has a long future to, to to come into his own as a wide receiver. And who knows how this plays out with Sammy, who we'll talk about in a few yeah. segments here, where we'll if Sammy on. leaves after next year, we're going to need need to have a wide receiver step forward. And that could very well be um, Nicole Hardman. Yeah. Once you get into our last story of this news block, and that is Dustin Colquitt, a, a bittersweet story, I think, lands with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, worth noting, the Chiefs still have one practice squad spot to fill. Tyler Newsom apparently visited the team this week, one of three tryout players, as, as they're trying to figure out who they're going to put into this role. So putting your tinfoil hat on, I just wonder (laughs) if there is a safety net thing going on with Tommy Townsend, who you've never seen punt in a real game before. And, Colquitt was reportedly visiting the Steelers and having a tryout and he was still in the area. Was it a case if the moment was too big for Townsend, maybe they called Colquitt back and he just rejoined the team. He was at the ring ceremony the other night. It's not like he really left yet, Uh, but he finds a job with the Steelers, which is where his, his father won two Super Bowls. And so I, I think if you're a Chiefs fan, especially now that you're over the Steelers having your number in the playoffs thing, that's long gone. <laughs> yeah. you, don't, you don't mind seeing Colquitt go to the Steelers.
2: No, not at all. And I'm, and I'm glad he got to go back to where his dad played. I'm sure that means a lot to both uh, Dustin and his father uh, that he's able to go back there. Those, those kinds of, of ties last for a long time. So I'm really pleased for him. And I'm mystified. By what the Chiefs are doing, uh, looking at at Tyler Newsom, he uh, apparently worked out for the Patriots about a week ago, and nothing happened, and uh, then came to the Chiefs and and did a workout. I, I he must have gone straight from Foxborough into uh, the three day protocol to get into the Chiefs facility and have a workout on Monday, uh, based on the timeline. So um, yeah, I, we said when Newsom was released from the squad to get it part of the move to get them down to 80 players that the chiefs just couldn't afford to have a punter battle in camp. Uh, That was a luxury they couldn't afford with an 80 man roster at that point. And I wonder now if the plan all along was to have one of these punters on the practice squad uh, going into this season with the uncertainty of having no preseason games, et cetera. So now they're trying to get that back. They got through the, problem about having a punter battle in camp, and now they just feel confident enough in Newsom that they could put him in their back pocket just in case things go badly.
1: That's an interesting theory, and you think about specialized positions, I mean, there's been talks as to whether or not teams would quarantine a quarterback this year. The punter is really specialized, too, where... Not just anyone could walk off the street and punt. So sure. you can understand where maybe that is the thought process behind that. But that wraps up your Chiefs news as we're getting ready for Thursday Night Football coming at you real fast here on the Editor's Show. When we come back, we will talk about the 53-man roster, some slight surprises that came out of it. We'll hear from Chiefs General Manager Brett Feach and a quote from Chiefs Defensive Coordinator Steve Spagnolo. Stay with us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. The Chiefs cut down to their 53-man active roster over the weekend. And for the first time, I think in a long time, it was pretty chalk. You know, it, not a ton of, of, of shocks when it came to the 53-man roster. Seemed like a lot of the things we thought were going to happen happened, except for a few things. And we'll, we'll go over those now. I think the biggest surprise of the day was the idea of the chiefs moving on from their 2018 second rounder, Brett Veach's real first draft pick where he had full control.
0: And the Chiefs said, you know, to Breeland speaks, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Goodbye. Uh, that defense line position is probably our deepest position. Um, you know, with, with Breeland, uh, different scheme when we got here and, uh, you know, I, th- I thought he and our staff really thought his rookie year did some things that you can really lay a foundation on. And, uh, you know, we all know that he came in a little out of shape the, the next year, and-, and then he had the injury. So uh, I think when you get behind the eight ball in professional football, it's tough. And then when you get behind the eight ball on a roster with a deep, defensive line it's even tougher. Uh, we'll say this credit to the kid. He did come in in shape and, and, and worked hard to get that, that weight off. Uh, again, he was just up against a, a very deep and talented defensive line class and, and, and our our staff and uh, both coaching and personnel staff and we were always committed to doing what's what we feel is best for the team and playing the best players. and And the guys that were on our active roster, we felt that day by day and the way they graded it out, that they just performed better than they deserved to be on the team. You know, good
1: GMs will draft and trade well. I think great GMs draft and trade well and know when to cut their losses. So this wasn't right. a pride thing for Brett Feech. He knew what everybody else knew, came in overweight last year, felt a little bit like a joke, was able to do it without the weight a little bit and show something this offseason, but it, it just was too little too late.
2: Yeah, absent James Palmer's report from a week ago uh, that uh, Turk Wharton. Turk, Turk Wharton. Turk Wharton was, now that we know his nickname, was going to likely make the 53 man roster. Uh, we would have had some real thunderbolts here uh, because I think most people expected Speaks to make the team come into right. camp in shape. That seemed to be the big problem last year. He seemed to do okay in Spagnolo's offense. Or excuse me, in his defense, and uh, you know, might have been in a position to make the active roster last season, and then he got hurt, and didn't miss the whole season, so nobody knew how knew how he could have worked out. Um, part, of, part of I think the attractiveness of, of Breland
1: speaks as a player, though, was the fact that he was a girthy guy. He had he right. had some weight to him, and that big guy thing, good yeah. weight when he was yeah. at at Old Miss, and it mm-hmm. seemed like when he came to the Chiefs last year, it was bad way, where it just was non-athletic. And then you fast forward to this year after a year on IR, and he almost looked a little too skinny for a football player. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if he went in the other direction. Again, I wasn't at practices every day, so please keep that in mind. But from pictures and, and whatnot, he just didn't even looked to me when speaking to him on Zoom like he had that big guy girth that, that you would maybe see in in a defensive lineman. And so I I just think this got too off the rails and the Chiefs moved on. And more telling than anything is he wasn't claimed. He was unclaimed. He was a second rounder that went unclaimed.
2: Yeah but you know looking back on it now with hindsight now that we know that Speaks was on the chopping block for the roster and putting that together with the information we got about Turk Wharton last week, we should have seen this coming. It really shouldn't have been a surprise if that Speaks would be the odd man out here. And uh, things always look a lot easier to figure out in hindsight, of course. But, look at, than, but I'm putting yeah. this down as something I'm going to remember going into the future. When you hear about some... Untested, unheralded rookie is going to make the fifty-three a week before the final cutdown. That means somebody you think is going to be on the roster is not going to be on the roster. Part of the reason the Chiefs felt comfortable was because of the play of Taco Charlton, the
1: former first right. rounder who they brought in right. during the off season, and as as John mentioned, and we'll we'll turn it over to Steve Spagnolo here, Mike Dana, the fifth rounder, and
3: uh, Turk Wharton, the undrafted free agent. Listen, we've been really pleasantly surprised with a couple of guys that have come in here and didn't, we didn't really know a lot about, uh, but you're talking about Turk Wharton. Uh, he's been a nice surprise. Coach Daly has done a great job with him. Uh, Damone Harris was with us. I think you were talking about Damone, right? Uh, he was with us last year. and Of course, he got dinged a little bit, but we know what he can do. And uh, Mike Dana, another pleasant surprise. Those two guys, I'm talking about Turk and Mike. Um, listen for guys that have not been in the NFL very long they sure operate like true pros um, they learned that somewhere along the way uh, but from the standpoint of we, we and we noticed it right in those zoom meetings uh, I remember coach Daly talking about both those guys specifically um, how much he was looking forward to working with them because in these meetings that you and I are doing right now he was thoroughly impressed and he, they've just those two guys have just continually Uh, Impress the coaches.
1: I mean, I could see it now. David Johnson thinks he's going to have this big comeback gear comes in with a full head of steam runs right into Turk Wharton in the middle for the Chiefs. And and that's the end of it for David Johnson thinks he's going to have a comeback. Not against Turk, Dave. Uh, I'm I'm excited for these guys. Uh, They had a a probably tall climb to make make the the roster, sure. especially Turk more than Mike, who was a, a draft mm-hmm. pick and and good for him to to do it. And I, I know that Taco was probably in his last chance. And so, whereas you feel disappointed for Breland Speaks, good on these guys to show enough to to make the fifty three.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, again, this is all hindsight. We're hearing Spagnuolo talk about this after we know these guys were on the team. We didn't get, we weren't getting these quotes. Uh, before the final cut down. And I don't know if that's because we weren't asking the right questions or um, we just didn't, the, the people who were at practice just didn't see these things going on. But I also think that it says something about what coaches value versus what fans value. Fans value guys who make these plays on the field. And coaches value that too. But coaches also really value guys who are coachable that uh, that they can say, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And they go out and do X, Y, and Z. And that's exactly what Spagnolo's talking about when he's talking about Wharton and Dana, uh, even in the Zoom meetings, impressing the coaches as being guys who could learn things, pick things up, and be ready to execute them the way they were told.
1: want to turn it on to the other side of the football and, and go through our, our one real surprise, I think, was it running back there on offense mm-hmm, um, yeah. where we thought DeAndre Washington, probably because he's a veteran and has shown something in the past at the NFL level, really, that he would be the RB three. And it, it really played out a, a lot differently than, than we thought it it ever might. Daryl Williams is the RB two Darwin Thompson kept as the RB three. Brett Veach spoke about running backs over the weekend.
0: You, with Darryl hitting Darryl first, he's one of those guys that, um, he he's been here for such a long time and there's a lot of trust in regards to his ability, uh, in all phases of the game running and blocking in particular pass pro too. I mean, he's, he's really good in pass pro. He's taught Clyde a lot. Certainly we're all excited about Clyde. We know what he can do and, and he'll continue to learn and grow. And, and, you know, we think certainly he has a extremely high ceiling. Um, and Darwin was a guy that really had the upper hand and, and held to it. Uh, having been here a year, Having gone through a Super Bowl run with us, being a contributor on special teams, um, you know he got some stiff competition from DeAndre, but he was able to to answer the call and and hold on to that position. It was that was a close battle, but uh, give give Darwin a lot of credit for coming into work every day and staying focused on the on the task at hand. Um, you know, hopefully, you know as the waiver wire comes out here at some point. We'd like to potentially get DeAndre back if we can and, and you know get him in the mix here because we think he's a good player. But again, a lot of the credit goes to Darwin and his ability to kind of just come in every day and, and not get distracted and, and hold on to that job.
1: Washington was indeed added to the Chiefs practice squad, so the Chiefs have control really of, of the four of them right now. But Darwin Thompson, I I remember his press conference and and I just got the feeling from it during training camp. I said, This kid is not gonna allow someone else to take his job and and it really felt like that it just seemed like a non-option for him and and he was talking a big game and 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 it seemed a little bit loud for what somebody who was fighting for a roster spot but he was sure of himself and and sure enough the 53-man roster came around and and the Chiefs kept him instead of DeAndre Washington
2: yeah maybe he knew more than we did that's always the possibility when you're talking to a player I think that Washington would have made the 53 if it weren't for the situation with Dion Yelder. That's what I think this comes down to. I think the Chiefs decided to keep three running backs on the initial 53 because Yelder hadn't practiced for two weeks straight during the padded portion of uh, training camp practices, uh, dealing with a groin injury. I think they didn't want to put him on the PUP list or on injured reserve because they think he'll be ready in two or three weeks. So by keeping him on the roster, that allows them to keep him around until uh, Mike Pinnell's suspension ends in two Mm. weeks. And then they can rid themselves of Ricky Seals-Jones or Deion Yelder. Like an extended tryout situation. Right. Right. Ricky Se- Seals-Jones gets another couple of weeks to show what he can do. And Dion Yelder gets a couple more weeks to get fully healed up and ready to play at game speed. And then when they uh, will have to do something on the roster, they'll make a decision about those two players. I think absent that situation, I think DeAndre Washington makes the roster. That's an interesting thought. I I don't disagree. I I thought it was peculiar that
1: they ended up keeping four tight ends. It really did seem absolutely. Yeah. Nick Kaiser emerged, and uh, I joked with Ron that very similar skill set to Blake Bell. So it seems like you you didn't really necessarily go down at all at that position, and and yeah, that that could be the right thing. Where I believe Pinnell's ready week three, so we should see whether it be Yelder or Ricky Seals-Jones that stays with the Chiefs. We do expect Nick Kaiser to get the reps behind Travis Kelsey in some of those two tight end sets. If the Chiefs ever used a two tight end set, I mean, this used to be a staple of Andy Reid's offense, but I don't know how you can anymore (laughs) with your talent at wide receiver and running back, even Daryl Williams. I mean, you know, it's it's crazy. So we shall see. Uh, Those are some of the surprises uh, at the 53-man roster. Other quick hits here before we move on. Marcus Kemp uh, makes the wide receiver six position. Adoring O'Daniel and Armani Watts are all kept on the roster. And I think a lot of that has to do with special teams for those guys. Uh, Garrick Dieter heads to the practice squad. So uh, not really a surprise there. It's It's been an uphill battle for Garrick Dieter. And he, he continues to stay with it. I know he posted on Instagram shortly after he was sent to the practice squad and said one day it'll pay off. You feel for Dieter, man, because he, he ends up being a punchline, but he continues to stay with it. Uh, and I think at some point here, you know, you see an injury or something. I, I think what he really needs to happen is a break where uh, you see maybe an injury, not that you ever root for that, but you see an injury and he's able to get the ball in his hands and maybe show something not only to the Chiefs, but also the rest of the NFL. A lot of these fringe guys were greatly hurt by the fact that there was no preseason tape. One of the things I took away from the conference call with Brett Feech is he says – he usually gets calls from about 12 teams. He heard from one team regarding a trade uh, during this preseason. Mm-hmm. So right. part of the reason why you didn't see the Chiefs make any moves, which they have done in recent years past. But
2: Plus the waiver wire was completely quiet. I think uh, there were mm-hmm. like 17 pick players picked up uh, right. from the post-cutdown waiver wire when that's norm- that's about a third of what it normally was. I'll make two points about these last uh, fringe players you speak about. Um One of them is, than any other team, a team that doesn't have Dave Tobe as special teams coordinator, uh, Jody Fortson makes the 53, not Marcus Kemp. Um, I think Marcus Kemp is a special teams player and a really, really good one who can come in there and play a wide receiver. But because Dave Tobe is on the team, Marcus Kemp gets that nod. And the same with O'Daniel and Watts. Um, most fans look at those guys on defense and go, what are we doing here? Well, it's because these guys play on special teams and play well. You just had Ben Neiman surpass
1: Dorian O'Daniel. Again, another tease for our next segment. But you just had Ben right. Neiman pass Dorian O'Daniel for that, that will position. But he is still on the team. And you're right. It, it is likely because of special teams. Uh, that's a good tease. We're, we're going to get into our five burning questions for the Chiefs ahead of the 2020 season. That's next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, our final segment of the day. A note here regarding the Chiefs and the Texans game. The reason why we're not diving into that is because the Arrowhead Pride Nerd Squad is going to have their preview for you. And that will be coming at you on the Arrowhead Pride podcast feed tomorrow. So we're going to go and as they do the micro, we're going to look at the macro. Five burning questions for the Chiefs ahead of the 2020 season. John, we can alternate questions. I'm going to start with the first question to you. Can Tyron Matthew win Defensive Player of the Year? I think we saw something from him last year in the second half. It's just, can he carry that over now to being one of the best players in the league for the entire year?
2: Yeah, I don't see that happening. And it's not because he isn't a spectacular player, but he's not a spectacular player in the kinds of metrics that go into that kind of a calculation for that kind of a vote among the media. I personally think Matthew is one of the best players in the NFL, but that's looking at it from our perspective. You know, what he does on the field, his versatility, his skill set. Not only can he play all these different positions in the secondary, he can play them at an elite level. And on top of that, he is an incredible leader on this team, made an enormous difference in the attitude of the defense, their accountability towards each other, How they felt about themselves, those things are not tangible. Those things aren't things that can be measured, like sacks and interceptions and pass breakups and that kind of stuff. And on those kinds, those are the kinds of metrics that are going to make your Aaron Donald uh, the defensive player of the year. Those kinds of numbers. I don't think Matthew's ever going to have those in his career, but for my money, he is. Going to be the defensive player of the year, I just don't think he's going to get that accolade,
1: yeah, it was interesting. He did end up get, getting the two time all pro in one year last year mm-hmm. right which which was i you know quite a feat it's it's not easy to get that I think Christian McCaffrey was the only person to to get the the two time in two different positions you're right i I think if he can continue what he did in the second half of last year, he's actually joked and Excuse me, because I'm misremembering the number, but he's he said that he had a number of dropped balls last year. He can't drop the interceptions if you want to win Defensive Player of the Year right. a, at his right. position. So right. you saw, I, I think he he says the number is like six or seven drops. He had four interceptions. If four inter- interceptions is eleven interceptions then I think you're maybe in the conversation for defensive player of the year because you also got to go up against a lot of these edge rushers and defensive tackles who it usually goes to and they're impacting the quarterback you would think on on a lot of these plays so you have to find ways to to get those marks I also think your passes defensed. he had 12 last year his high was 17 back in 2015 it's got to be more in the 2015 range 12 is not going to do it either so right it, it, it isn't necessarily fair because I think he makes the entire team and the defense better, but exactly. interceptions and passes defense are going to be key, and he knows it. He, he has joked about it right. in, in, in pressers, and, and, yeah, it's a joke, but I think it's serious for him. He needs to catch those footballs if he wants that, that accolade. All right, John, let's hear your second burning question of the 2020 season. Is Ben Neiman really ready? To take a starting role in the Chiefs' defense. <laughs> I like your question voice. I, I I wonder this myself. It it seems like a a a position where the Chiefs' defense needed somebody to to step up. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo has been really high on Neiman, and it's because from his chin to his forehead or something, as he put it to me. <laughs> that's where he's been the most impressive, where he watches a lot of game tape, understands schemes and a lot of the different things the the Chiefs are doing back there. And he could run a little bit. Uh, it, you know, Is he going to be able to to stay with a lot of the better slot players and tight ends in the league? I, I think that's part of the thing that's going to go into it. But the Chiefs feel really confident about him doing the right thing on every play. And I just don't think that Will Gay was going to be able to get there by game one, especially with no preseason.
2: Yeah, and it goes back to what I said before. You know, as fans, we watch these players and go, well, he's too slow to be a linebacker, or he doesn't have the coverage skills to be a linebacker. You see these things on the field. And again, the coaches value those things. Of course they do. But they also value whether or not you're coachable, whether, you're, well, whether you will do what you're supposed to do when you're on the field. And in the case of Spagnolo, he's mentioned this several times, Uh, during this offseason, the communication skills at that linebacker position are very important. They serve as the bridge between the defensive line and the secondary, and it's really important for those guys to be communicating with each other, the guys in front of them, the guys behind them, and apparently Neiman has really stepped up in that area, which is why he's getting this opportunity. So, uh, you know, we, we may bellyache about plays that we think Neiman should have made that he doesn't but Spagnuolo's got him in there for a reason and it's because he values he has the traits that Spagnuolo
1: values want to correct myself it wasn't chin to the forehead it was chin to the hairline I just looked it oh. up <laughs> one of the things Spagnuolo also mentioned was the fact that he's a great communicator and, and really helps Hitchens in that capacity too which yeah. I think is, is huge and being so devoted to your craft and, and watching the film and, and understanding the defense is is what makes, I think, Daniel Sorensen such a good player and why he has had the staying power. You don't make that, that play, and I understand it was a special teams play, but you don't make that fake punt unless you're right. tuned in and watching film and know the cues. And I I sense something similar with Neiman here, and so I I think that's why the Chiefs are giving him the first nod. And again, it's just the first nod. We'll see how he does. I mean, you got to hope that a third-year undrafted player plays a, a pivotal role for you at the will in what has become a passing NFL. So that is a burning question. We'll see how it goes for the Chiefs. Number three, offensive side of the football. We know Clyde has all the hype. How big what role will Daryl Williams play in this offense? It's interesting to me because the way that you've sort of heard about the Chiefs nationally, you would think that it is going to be 100% Clyde, but the more we go on and the the more I hear from the coaching staff and, and whatnot, I, I think Clyde will, will be out on the field. I, I don't know if it'll be 20%. I don't know if it'll be – maybe 30, 35%. But I think Daryl will see the field. And I'm beginning to wonder too, when I, when I look at these two players, if you have the ball third down on the goal line, are you going to Clyde or are you going to Daryl who you, you kept for a reason and, and, and seems like this bigger back and a little bit uh, more of somebody who could mash his way, barrel his way into, pun intended, Kent, barrel his way <laughs> into the end zone. I, I just mm-hmm. think we're, we may be underselling the amount of impact that Daryl might have this year.
2: I think that's fair. Um, I happen to I think I've mentioned this before recently that I happened to watch some uh, a game from last year where Daryl Williams was just tearing it up. And you forget, you know, when you don't see these guys on every play and you get into the offseason, you tend to forget what they're capable of doing, and Daryl Williams has shown the chiefs a lot. And uh, Biani mentioned that they trust him in all phases of the position, which includes pass protection, which may not be something that Edwards Hilaire is really good at at this point. There's a, so, there, there, there's a little
1: new toy bias that goes into it too. Sure. Where you, you just, you're you yeah. excited about the new thing and you forget what the old thing can do. But right. I, I really think that this, this could be a, a one-two type of punch. Like, now, I definitely think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to lead in touches between the two of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think it could be a situation where you, where you see almost like the other side of the football coming up could be a David and Duke Johnson thing where you're seeing both guys kind of have their, their share and, and are able to impact the football game. So uh, I know you're rooting for that because you want to see RB3 come in, John, as you, since you are a, a Darwin I, Thompson I am. Yeah, super fan. Love, so
2: love to see him get in there, yeah.
1: <laughs> Maybe late in the game. All right, John,
2: question number four. Just one time. Can Sammy Watkins put together a complete season? I'll tell you the answer to that question right now, John. And the
1: answer is no. Uh, He won't put in a complete season. But you just hope that in his 12 to 14 games, uh, the Chiefs are able to make the most of Sammy Watkins. I don't know what to make of this player in the regular season. We saw at the beginning last year, we thought he was going to be up for this monster year. And and he had that insane number that he put up. Was it week one or mm-hmm, yeah. week one? And you said, finally, finally, Sammy yeah. Watkins has arrived to the regular season. And you didn't really see him again until the playoffs. Mm-hmm. A huge gap of, of, of time. And man, he was important in the playoffs in, in really uh, getting it done for the Chiefs. But y- you would just love to see him feel completely healthy throughout the year I would love to see a 16-game number in his starts, but I it, it it's hard for me to, to feel like someone that would ever in a million years bet on that at this stage.
2: He hasn't played in 16 games since his rookie season. I mean, the odds are against that Watkins will have a complete season for the Chiefs this year, but I want to bring up the 2018 narrative on Sammy Watkins. You know, you'll recall that... We did analytics on it, and we saw that when Sammy Watkins was on the field, the Chiefs' offense was better, Mm. not necessarily because Sammy Watkins was putting up big games, but because defenses had to account for both Watkins and Hill, which made both of them have more opportunities to be productive. And I think that's what we have to hope for with the Chiefs, is that Sammy puts in a complete season and – Uh, the Chiefs have those two threats on the field at all times. You know, I ask this question because it sounds like I'm saying, oh, Sammy Watkins won't have a complete season. That's the way it sounds. But I'm hoping he does because I think if he does, then we're going to see offensive production that's off the charts this season.
1: Yeah, I, I think we're all to the point where we realize Sammy Watkins' importance in the offensive lineup. It's just been impossible for him to shake this injury-prone right. thing, especially during the regular yeah. season. And, and you want that. And and I don't know if Sammy wants to be here past this year. Some of the things that he said in the offseason that he's come back around on make me think that he wants to be the guy somewhere. Well, if you want another team to really invest in you, I think you're going to have to put together a full season and show a little bit more consistency. Yeah.
2: Agreed. Yeah.
1: You know, I, I think the the only teams based upon like the data they have right now that would invest in him and give him the money that would you would to a wide receiver one is a team that makes bad decisions with their <laughs> salary cap. Yeah. So if you want to go to a good team and be the guy, you have to show that you're reliable and that you're going to be available each and every Sunday because when you're the top wide receiver for a team, and you, you, need, you need to be on the field. I mean, that, that's such an important mm-hmm. position as the number one outlet for your quarterback. So.
2: Right and I, and I think that that was something that Sammy found comfortable when he came here was that he didn't have that pressure on him. I've made this point before that when he first came to the Chiefs he talked about how the fact he didn't uh, about the fact that he didn't have all that pressure on him to be the guy who produces as the first wide receiver and he liked that because he had been dealing with these injuries. And I can't imagine what it's like to sign a big contract to go to another team as a free agent and then have an injury and miss you know X number of games in the season and have all the, the pundits talking about how you just can't stay healthy to get out there and help the team like you're supposed to. So I think Watkins felt like this is a great opportunity for me. If I get hurt, nobody's going to hate me. They'll just like me for what I can do when I can play. And, uh, and you're exactly right. In order to be that number one wide receiver, he's going to have to put in a full slate of games and show that he can do it this year to have any opportunity to do that going forward.
1: Our final burning question ahead of the 2020 season, will Patrick Mahomes win his second MVP? John, do you have Patrick Mahomes or do you have the field?
2: Um, I have... I have the field. Wow. I think I think oh, Patrick Mahomes gosh. is going to to win his uh, another MVP, but I think it's going to be Super Bowl MVP. Oh, okay. I think I think there's going to be a sentimental favorite in Brady. I don't think he's going to have to do as much as other players will in order to get an opportunity to win it for the season. I think Breeze is another sentimental favorite, especially if the team does well in the regular season, you know, maybe gets to 14 and 2. By the end of the regular season, um, which is when the decisionals will be made, when the voting will take place, is at the end of the regular season, not what happens in the postseason. And, yeah, Mahomes could win it. I I think he certainly could. But um, Mahomes' value to the team is going to be in the postseason. So I see the Chiefs getting to the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl, and Mahomes picking up his third MVP award, second Super Bowl MVP Uh, in that game. Yeah, I'm going to take the opposite. Give me the opposite. I mean, he may get
1: the Super Bowl MVP, but I think he wins his second MVP. I'm taking Patrick Mahomes over the field. I think back in 2018, there was a question when it came to whether or not it would go to the sentimental favorite, like you were saying in like a Brady or Breeze, I remember Patrick Mahomes was teetering along the lines of like 45 touchdowns and people were still talking about Andrew Luck and Drew Brees that season. Even leading up to what was the voting, people thought that maybe Drew Brees would work his way in there. 32 touchdowns, five interceptions. But I think we've come past that where now Patrick Mahomes may be when you – take out other fan bases, including your own. So like, let's say for Chiefs fans, we wouldn't include Chiefs fans and you can like a player on another team. Who would that be? I just think you take out your own team. He's the fan favorite of the NFL right now. I mean, he was on the cover yeah. of Madden. and yeah. he is someone that is looked at as one of the leaders of the game as long as he's able to put up the most touchdowns and not have a ridiculous amount of interceptions and stay healthy really is the key. I don't know who is going to to catch him. I, I guess you could make a case for Lamar Jackson. I know Russell Wilson has gone a little bit under the radar and now he has some weapons, more weapons in Seattle. So maybe he could get something done there where he, he gives Patrick Mahomes a run for his money. I just, I just find this league is Patrick Mahomes and everybody else. When Mahomes is healthy. Now, if we go through Thursday night, and Patrick Mahomes has a lingering ankle issue for the first six weeks of the season, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not going to be Patrick Mahomes and everybody else again, right? right. But you saw he right. finally got healthy at the end of the last year. How fast the Chiefs were able to put up points, and mm-hmm. I just I find it again. As long as he's healthy, uh, he should win the MVP, which is. Wild to say, until there there's somebody that proves proves otherwise. Whether that be Joe Burrow this year, who I don't I don't think is the same type of player by any stretch. I think he's going to be a good franchise quarterback, but I just don't think he's at the Mahomes level. Or maybe Trevor Lawrence next year. Until then, give me Mahomes, uh, and probably in, until I stop covering the game at this point, and, and or he gets a little bit older and he can't do some of the things that he can do. Maybe when he gets to the over the age of what I am right now of 32, maybe he'll stop being able to be as athletic and as free as he is in the football but for the next eight years give me a healthy patrick mahomes for the mvp
2: now are you telegraphing that you're planning to give up covering the game in your late 40s is that what you're saying or yeah retire okay. into the sunset
1: yeah <laughs> certainly maybe maybe pick up another sport at that point maybe just, hockey will be just, up and coming yeah. just
2: making some notes here just for my future reference.
1: yeah yeah there you go that's a good that's a good idea uh well here we go. I'm I'm excited, John. What we're going into another year of of Chiefs football. This will actually be my seventh year covering the Kansas City Chiefs. I couldn't believe it. You know, we, we just were joking about me going into my 40s. Um, that's it's wild to think about uh, the fact that I, I've been able to cover this team and and see how it's grown over these years and into the the next era where you where Andy Reid and Brett Fecher go until 2025, and it starts. Uh, with this Thursday night, I, I'm I'm excited to to get back to football. Excited to cover it with you.
2: Yeah, uh, just remember this though: however many seasons you end up covering the Chiefs, I'll always have twenty more than you. So just remember that.
1: <laughs> I hope so. I hope that always is the case. All right. Well. No editor show on Thursday. I do want to say that we're going to let the nerd squad and their preview stay on our feed leading up to the game. So I'm actually excited to hear what these guys have to say, what the keys to Chiefs Texans will be in the eyes of Kent Swanson, Matt Lane and Craig Stout. You can follow ArrowheadPride.com for everything leading up to the game. We'll have your pregame coverage. We'll have your postgame coverage. We'll be making picks. Plenty to like there. John Dixon. You can get at him at Arrowheadphones. I'm at P.G. Sweeney. For John Dixon, my name is Pete Sweeney. Thank you for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show.